morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Douglas Impuga in Washington. Today is Tuesday, June 21st. Here are some of the stories we're covering this morning. East African heads of state concluded their meeting Monday to stabilize the troubled eastern region of the Democratic Republic of Congo. The action taken by His Excellency Uhuru Kenyatta to have the East African standby force deployed to handle the situation in DRC is a welcome move. In Liberia, several government officials are to be prosecuted for fraud and mismanagement. The Minister of Agriculture violated the code of conduct, popular interest. She also violated the criminal statute under the penal code. And China says it's ready to help the Horn of Africa find peace and get rid of what Beijing calls external interference. Those stories and more are right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. East African heads of state concluded their meeting in Nairobi on Monday in efforts to stabilize the troubled Eastern DRC. This comes after M23 rebels said they have captured Bonagana, a city bordering neighboring Uganda. Moses Habyarimana reports. The third East African Heads of State meeting brought together in Nairobi the six heads of state of Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, South Sudan, Kenya and DRC. They called for an immediate ceasefire and cessation of hostilities, including the withdrawal from the recently taken positions since they say the East African standby force will immediately be deployed. The Secretary General of the East African Community, Dr. Peter Matuki, said that he is confident that the East African community leaders will find a lasting solution to the instability in DRC. The problem would be if they are not meeting and if they are not willing to meet, but they are are meeting. They are meeting all together, and that is what the chair of the EAC summit is saying. uh, He continues to, 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 within the framework of the EAC, to bring them together and talk and where there is an, an engagement and continuous engagement there will always be a solution and that's a, that's why we are all looking forward to that the government of the democratic republic of congo accuses rwanda of supporting the m23 rebels who are labeled as terrorist group by kinshasa kigali denies the allegations paul musamali is a ugandan lawmaker in the east african legislative assembly the action taken by His Excellency Uhuru Kenyatta to have the East African standby force deployed to handle the East situation in DRC is a welcome move. And uh, I would want to applaud him for taking this bold step. Last week, the Kenyan president, who is also the current chairman of the East African Community Heads of State Summit, ordered the deployment of the regional forces in the DRC. The move came after M23 rebels announced the capture of Bunagana City in the eastern part of the country, forcing hundreds of Congolese to flee to neighboring Uganda. The Democratic Republic of Congo joined the East African community this year. Susan Nakauchi is a lawmaker from Uganda. This week, Congo was supposed to deposit their instruments of ratification with the ESC. I personally believe war should not be the way for any individual to solve their grievances. There are so many alternative 
dispute mechanisms that could be employed. During the meeting in Nairobi, the heads of state instructed the East African standby force should work with the military and administrative forces of the Democratic Republic of Congo to stabilize and secure the peace. They also said the force should help implement the disarmament and demobilization process. Moses Aviarimana for Voice of America. China's special envoy to the Horn of Africa, Zhu Bing, said Beijing is ready to help the region's countries find peace and get rid of what he calls external interference. Zui made the comments at China and the Horn of Africa's first governance and development conference in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Halima Atman reports. At a meeting with six Horn of Africa countries held in Addis Ababa Monday, China noted that regional turbulence and division are on the rise. Zhu Bing, China's special envoy to the Horn of Africa, noted that the Cold War mentality and power politics has resurfaced while peace and development are being met with resistance. Even though China has been a long-time trade partner in Africa, this is the first time it appears to have intervened in the politics of African countries, a change in policy for China. Zhu says early this year, China's outlook on peace and development for the Horn of Africa focused on the region's reality and its past experience and is aimed at helping countries in the region to get rid of external interference. China will continue to support countries in the region to uphold the vision of common, comprehensive, cooperative and sustainable security, protect regional peace and security and silence the guns in the Horn of Africa. Ambassador Ridwan Hussein, National Security Advisor to Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed, noted that countries in the Horn need to employ different approaches to solve the challenges of poverty, drought, illegal immigration and refugees, terrorism, climate change, internal displacements and the consequences of war. The nexus between peace and security development is too obvious to be elaborated here making the region free from the burdens of war and conflict and ensuring peace and security remain the priority of all priorities. The people of the region had suffered enough and it is incumbent upon us to resort to a civilized, mature way of addressing our difficulties and differences. During his official visit to Kenya in January, the Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi said conflicts and instability in the Horn of Africa, including Ethiopia, Somalia and Sudan, threaten China's substantial investments in Eastern Africa. Zhu spelled out the choices African countries needed to make. Do we choose war or peace? Unrest or development? Confrontation or cooperation? This is a question that must be answered by all of us. China stressed that it has all along been convinced that countries in the Horn have the critical resolution to seek strength through solidarity and a political wisdom to resolve differences through dialogue and consultation. Halima Athmani for VA News, Addis Ababa. The chair of Liberia's Anti-Corruption Commission has recommended the prosecution of several government officials for fraud and mismanagement. Edwin Clamartin says the officials include Agricultural Minister Jani Cooper and others from the Liberia Institute of Statistics and Geoinformation Services, the Liberia Water and Sewer Corporation, and the Planned Parenthood Association. Claire Martin tells VOA's James Barty the charges include conflict of interest, theft of property, abuse of office, perjury, and economic sabotage. 
The move comes as the government of President George Weah has come under growing criticism by international partners for not doing enough to fight public corruption. According to Transparency International, Liberia ranks 29th out of 100 on the 2021 Corruption Perception Index. Commission Chair Claire Martin says Agricultural Minister Cooper awarded contracts to her brother and diverted agricultural materials to her personal use. The Minister of Agriculture violated the code of conduct, conflict of interest. She also violated the criminal statute under the penal code on uh, economic sabotage, theft of property, and uh, misuse of public funds. She used her position as Minister of Agriculture to defraud the interests, the access, the revenue, and the resources of the Liberian people. She has to answer those allegations in court. And what is your concern with the Liberia Institute of Statistics and their geo-information services? They also violated the public procurement law. The investigation also realized that public funds for the census were misapplied to different areas that were not stipulated within the census budgetary agreement. Mr. Chairman, almost everything I have read about corruption in Liberia points a finger at the government. In many instances for doing very little about corruption, especially public corruption, I'm wondering why now? And people might think, are you being very selective with these particular cases? We are not selective. We are prepared to go all out to make sure that uh, any public official or private individual who are involved in the issue of misapplying the Labyrinth people resources will be brought to justice. In that respect, I think I might have read something about an incident with the managing director of the National Port Authority and also an incident about Liberian passport. Are you ready to look into these allegations? The issue of the National Port Authority, we have already done an indictment. If you go on our website, we have already indicted those from uh, the National Port Authority, the Canon Port, and that matter now is before the Court of Competent Jurisdiction. The other issue that you are referring to, we are now conducting serious investigation, and I informed you, and be very, very clear on that, on ambiguous, that the LFCC is now prepared to go all out to ensure that this time around, no issue or incident of corruption will be swept under the carpet. Mr. Chairman, one more complaint that I hear when it comes to fighting corruption in Liberia is people saying that the number of properties that some government officials are acquiring. What steps have your commission taken to address this issue? Mr. Bottas, the commission acts in conformity with basic and fundamental evidence. So when it comes to the issue of acquisition of property, it depends what public officials have declared and what public officials acquire by law. So what we are now doing in that division is that we are documenting every asset declaration and everything that is not declared that is under the suspicion of acquisition. As we speak, the commission is also conducting its own investigation to ensure that those things that were not declared and are acquired overnight, the commission in the next two months will come up with a public statement on that.
Mr. Chairman, thank you always for speaking with us on Daybreak Africa. Thank you, sir. Edwin Klamatin is chair of the Liberian Anti-Corruption Commission. He was speaking from Monrovia with my colleague James Barty. Minister Cooper did not respond to our request for comment. The West African country of Niger hosts more than 300,000 refugees and asylum seekers, most fleeing violence from neighboring Nigeria. In the southern Maradi region, the UN's refugee agency, UNHCR, and aid group Save the Children have set up camps to help refugees stay safe from the border while also easing the burden on their host community. Fred Hutter reports from Maradi region, Niger. At a dusty playground at Karen Kaka refugee camp in southern Niger, a group of young children spin on a merry-go-round and clamber on a metal climbing frame. The camp in a patch of scrubland in southern Niger is home to around 4,000 refugees who have fled violence from Islamist militants and bandits in neighbouring Nigeria. It's one of three camps the UN's refugee agency has set up in Niger's Maradi region since 2019 as what it calls opportunity villages. Refugees at these camps, the first of their kind in Niger, have been moved further from the border for their own safety, and both the refugees and the local population receive aid. The idea of giving aid to locals is to reduce the burden from the refugee population and to ease any tensions that might otherwise arise from competing for resources. Refugee women are also given small grants to set up businesses so they can take care of their families. 42-year-old Nigerian Hanitatu Ali fled her village three years ago on foot with her 11 children after Islamist militants' attacks and began killing her neighbours. She says, when they chased us, we ran, but they caught a man and his wife, says Ali, and they cut him to pieces. She says you could see the blood streaming and people had to collect the pieces to bury him. Ali says there was someone else who was shot in the chest and they buried him too. Safe in the camp since 2019, Ali used a grant to set up a shop selling vegetables, salt and cooking oil. Aid group Save the Children runs services in the camp. The group's country director, Ilaria Manunza, says it's just as important to support refugees as it is the locals, who are under increasing pressure from climate change. We also believe that the host population still needs and requires some support. So we cannot forget about the host population, the fact that they are um, hugely, uh, hugely welcoming and supportive of, of, uh, of refugees. Now, uh, therefore, all our interventions should always, always target both the population, the refugees and the host populations. Aid groups hope the refugees in the so-called opportunity villages will eventually become self-sufficient. But some of the refugee women say they are unable to grow their businesses because there is not enough demand for their services in the camp. 40-year-old Nigerian mother of six, Jamila Salifu, also arrived in Garin Kaka camp three years ago after armed men attacked her village. She makes a living mending clothes with a sewing machine. <laughs> Salifu says sometimes they make enough money to buy cassava flour, but it is not every day they have business. She says this is how they survive. The small amount of money they get, they take it and they manage because they are proud of their business. Salifu says if she earns something, she can use it not only to buy food, but also to protect the dignity of her family. The UN's refugee agency, UNHCR, says conflict in northwestern Nigeria has forced more than 80,000 Nigerians to flee to Niger's Maradi region. Nearly 18,000 refugees have been moved into three camps with the Opportunity Village model. Aid groups say if the model was successful in helping refugees to integrate and start new lives, 
they could soon be set up in other countries in the region. Fred Harter for VOA News, Maridi, Niger. As we mark World Refugee Day, it's important to use this day as an opportunity to show solidarity with the millions of people across Africa who have been forced to leave their homes and have to struggle to build their lives in the most difficult conditions. But as VOA's Jackson Mvungani, the former refugee, says in his World Refugee Day message to the young refugees or displaced person, this traumatic moment in your life should not define or even determine your future. Hello, everyone. My name is Jackson Bungani. I'm the host of the Upfront radio program and the Red Carpet TV show on The Voice of America. Now, in the last couple of months, if you've tuned in to VOA each morning, which I think you should, you've probably heard me host our morning news magazine program, Daybreak Africa. I love what I do because I get to connect with millions of our listeners like you from around the continent. And my love for radio started at a very young age in far different circumstances. You see, I was born in a refugee camp, and for the first 18 years of my life, I had to navigate life as a refugee, fully aware of the daily struggles that my parents and older siblings had to endure to provide for me and provide me with an education that enabled me to be where I am today. And even though I eventually made it out of the refugee camp, millions of others from around the continent find themselves in the same place under the same difficult circumstances. And today the UN says that there are at least 30 million internally displaced persons and refugees in Africa. And that figure represents almost one third of the world's refugee population. Uh, Many are escaping the same violent situations that my parents faced many years ago when they were forced to flee their homeland and walk hundreds of miles to a place of safety. And so today, as we mark World Refugee Day, I want to take this opportunity to celebrate and acknowledge the strength and courage of millions of people who have been forced to flee their home country to escape conflict or persecution, food insecurity, and many other disasters. And to everyone else, World Refugee Day should be the day to remind you to constantly be aware, to show empathy and understanding for the plight of the millions of fellow Africans who have been forcefully and violently pushed out of the safety and comfort of their homes, lost everything, but have the resilience to rebuild their lives in the most difficult circumstances. To the refugees, especially young people, today I'm here to show solidarity with you. And my message to you is that in spite of all the suffering and hardships that you're going through right now, this is just part of your journey in life. It's a phase in your life that while it will inform you of the world around you, your current circumstances will not define or dictate your future and how far you'll go in life. And as the great Nelson Mandela said, everyone can rise above their circumstances and achieve success if they are dedicated and passionate about what they do. The Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, announced Monday that it has deployed troops to Guinea-Bissau. The country has been experiencing political instability in recent months. President Umaro Sissoko Mbalo dissolved parliament last month and called for sudden parliamentary elections by the end of this year to resolve what he called unresolvable differences. The opposition African Party for the Independence of Guinea and Cape Verde, which holds majority of seats in parliament, has condemned the president's action as illegitimate. 
Ibrahima Ken is a Senegalese political analyst. VOA's James Bate asks him just what would be the mission of ECOWAS troops. I think the troops will go and stabilize the political situation in the country. As you know, since the election of Mbalo, there was a kind of turmoil between Mbalo and uh, the political party that he decided to quit, which is uh, the PAIGC. Mbalo is also a military, has a lot of influence in the army, and the army was not really very supportive of his government. And that created a situation whereby instability started to show some signs. And I think ECOWAS, probably at the request of the president, just decided to send troops to help in stabilizing the situation. This is not the first time. The last 10 years, there have always been ECOWAS troops, mainly Nigerian, in the country, because Nigeria was really funding activities uh, helping the country to stabilize. Don't forget that the last 10 years, this country faced many coups, many attempts of coup, and many of the elected head of state didn't finish their own man. Tells you about the instability that the country is facing and the necessity for the regional organization to really help to, to stabilize the situation at the moment. With coup d'etat in Guinea, Mali, is ECOWAS concerned that democracy in the region may be kind of weakened by these military coups and the instability? Yes, but, you know, the military coups are also related to another phenomenon that is existing in the country. It's a malgovernance because it's a bad governance that exists in countries that leads in all the situations to the coup. In Mali, in Econatri, in Burkina Faso, all of these coups, at least the justification given by the juntas, where there was malgovernance, there was uh, corruption, there was uh, lack of respect for rule of law, and that's why they took the power. And all of these are also issues that we are facing in the region as the problem of coup. Another one that is really rampant in the region is the issue of third term. Briefly, there's a lit report about Africa and the war in Ukraine. The Ukrainian president uh, said late Monday that... Uh, an African had been captured in the war with Russia. What do you make of this? Well, the meeting between Zelensky and uh, some head of state in Africa, I think, is welcome because uh, last month uh, uh, African leaders assigned President Macky Sall to go and meet with both the president of Russia and the president of Ukraine to ask them to really find a solution to their problem and allow African countries to get more wheat and more maize to sort out the problem that they are facing at the moment on the continent. Makisal traveled to Russia, met with uh, Putin, and uh, the second meeting that was supposed to happen is now happening today. And I think the conversation was uh, very diplomatic. African countries reiterated uh, they called for the cessation of the hostilities, the respect for the independence and the territorial integrity of uh, Ukraine, and also the respect of international law by the different countries. Ibrahima, thank you so much, uh, as always, for taking time to talk with us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Ibrahim Kane is a Senegalese political analyst. He was speaking from the capital, Dakar, with VOA's James Barty.
And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. I'm Douglas Impuga in Washington, wishing you a very wonderful day. Next on Straight Talk Africa, 100 million people are forced to flee their homes and become refugees, making this the largest displacement crisis since World War II. Also in the show, I talk to Abebe Selassie, the director of the African Department at the International Monetary Fund, about the role of the IMF and its relationship with the African continent. Join me, Heidi Adams, on the next Straight Talk Africa, this Wednesday at 18.30 UTC. Hey, sports fans, brighten your day by tuning into the sunny side of sports Monday through Friday at 1630 and 1830 UTC. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny and on Twitter at VOA Sunny Sports. Or check out the blog at blogs.voanews.com forward slash sunny. It's the sunny side of sports right here on The Voice of America.